Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Deborah Cadman. Deborah is the Chief Executive of Birmingham City Council, having previously been the Chief Exec of a range of different types of councils, including a district council, a county council, and also the West Midlands Mayoral Combined Authority. Now, those of you who follow council news will know that Birmingham has recently issued a Section 114 notice. This podcast isn't a news podcast so although Deborah chooses to talk a little bit about it that's not what I focus on. As usual the Radical Reformers podcast interviews focus on what a person has learned through their career, what they think about current reforms, that type of thing. It's a fascinating discussion and we spend time talking about Deborah's role in Birmingham how the challenge of generating economic growth has to go alongside dealing with inequality in the city, and also how you keep a focus on public services, which so many people rely on, whilst also facing a huge range of strategic challenges. Deborah has a unique perspective on the strengths of the different levels of government having led at all levels, and she's got really interesting views on what responsibility should sit at each level and particularly the relationship between a mayoral combined authority and its constituent councils which I find really fascinating and enlightening. We spend a lot of time during the conversation talking about leadership and Deborah and I explore the three things that she expects from people who work for her. One, that they be brave, two, curious and three, true. It's a really fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Deborah. I'm really pleased to welcome you onto the podcast. Um, a lot of our listeners will know exactly who you are, but for people who don't know about you, could you just say a little bit about who you are? I, I can do. And, uh, do, do you know, I never take, I never take these things for granted. And I, and I always think if, if people assume the world knows who you are, then, uh, 
I think you're on a bit of a sticky wicket, really. So I, I never take things for granted and assume people know who I am. Um, so my name's Deborah Cadden, and I'm Chief Exec of Birmingham City Council, and I've I've been a chief exec in a number of organisations for almost 20 years now, but prior to that worked in and out of the, the predominantly the public sector at, at different levels and in different um, parts of local, regional and national government. Has that mostly been in councils or have you worked in, in other parts? So I know I am going to come on and ask you about your work in the Merrill Combined Authority, Authority and, and others. Has it always been in the local government environment or have you worked in other areas? No, I've, I've worked in other areas. I had a stint in central government uh, as a SPAT and um, I was chief exec of the East of England Regional Development Agency, which yeah. is great really you know we had such a profound impact on the economy of the east of england and uh the audit commission um right. in the best value spectrate fantastic i'm sure that was a really interesting experience and actually some of the most effective public servants i know have that mix of experience mm-hmm. and know particularly i think it's important to understand how central government works if you're going to have an impact locally and vice versa yeah, and I, I just think you, you need to, you can't operate in a bubble. And I'll probably yeah. talk a little bit more about this, really. But, yeah. you know, you have to understand and appreciate the system. And the system is made up of both different levels and different parts. You know, I talk, I, you know, I kind of refer to it as the horizontal and the vertical, you know. So yeah. um, so having experience of different parts of the system, I think, has helped me profoundly. Brilliant. Um, So as you were saying, you're currently the chief executive of Birmingham City Council, which is the largest council in Europe, and you've been there for just over two years in that role. When you joined, what did you think the the biggest challenges would be? Well, well, when I I joined just before the Commonwealth Games, actually. So I thought the biggest challenge at that time would be delivering the best Commonwealth Games the country had ever seen. Uh, or, or the world has ever seen, actually. We were very aspirational whilst ensuring that we were able to continue delivering services. But uh, I was also inheriting a, a kind of role where the top team were predominantly interims and, um, and consultants. So I knew it would be a challenge to attract and retain really good people and create that sense of stability in the organisation because there'd been a lot of churn over the last five or, or six years. And then just, you know, just coming out of COVID and, you know, understanding that the city was the most diverse city in the, in the country, really. And, yeah. and what did that mean post, you know, um, Black Lives Matter and the yeah. Me Too movement? So so inheriting an organisation that I knew was in a state of flux and needed a bit of stability. Yeah. And what was it like taking on a job like that during the pandemic? Because I guess you must have been starting the role during lockdown? Uh, no, it was, uh, we it was were just, just coming out of lockdown, actually. Yeah. Oh, so, right. OK, OK, yeah, OK. Sorry. It, was just, it was just kind of coming out of lockdown. But both the organisation and the place was, was still, still kind of trying to decide what it was uh, yeah. after a number of years in, in kind of lockdown. And lots of people still working from home, unsure about coming into the organisation, you know. So yeah. and I will say this again, really, you know, the organisation was trying to decide what it wanted to be. I guess, post-COVID. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, apologies. I was, my maths let me down there. I was taking two years away from 2023 and coming up with 2020 for some reason. But yeah, you, you obviously joined in 2021, I think. I did. Uh, I yeah, did. brilliant. Okay. Um, so 
like many councils, Birmingham is facing financial challenges. How do you deal with that whilst also keeping a focus on the public services that people rely on? Well, um, those of you that, that, that are listening to the, this podcast will know that we've recently issued a Section 114 notice. And um, what I'm disappointed in is the way in which that's played out in, in the press. As you know, the council's bankrupt, it's, it's on its knees, etc., etc. And and that's quite inflammatory and not yeah. not true. What it means is that, you know, a number of years of cuts, uh, the significant increase in uh, in demand that we're seeing across the city in our most diverse and deprived communities has just meant that there is a, a massive challenge. And, and also the failure to implement a, an Oracle ERP system has meant that, that we've got to go back to the book. So so I'm not passing it off lightly, not at all, because it has and will continue to have a profound impact and provide significant challenges for the organisation. And it, what it means is that we have to moderate our ambition and aspiration. And that really upsets me, actually, because, you know, we launched our Future City Framework last year or this year, actually, uh, in April. And it, and, it, and it is the most amazing aspirational commitment to how we want to change the physical nature uh, of the city, of the, the centre of, of Birmingham. And we will still continue to do that, but we will have to moderate our ambition and aspiration in terms of time. Yeah. So Birmingham isn't the first. It won't be the last council to come under financial pressure, as you've described, years of cuts and other pressures coming out of the pandemic, inflation pressures. There's a whole cocktail of things. How have you managed to keep a focus on providing public services as well as dealing with the things that people will read in the press? And sometimes when people read things in the press, they assume that's the only thing that's happening in a council. But as you well know, there are a a thousand different plates that need to be kept spinning, providing essential services. How how do you kind of keep the team motivated and, and keep everything moving under that kind of pressure? You start by kind of talking about what we're here for, really. And if we're not here to provide services to the public, then then what are we here for? And um, you have to reevaluate and you have to reprioritize and you have to be really clear about the values of the organization. What is it we want to do? How do we want to do it and, and to whom? And that's not just as an officer level. That's that's in partnership with our politicians as as well. Yeah. So it's a kind of collective big conversation about, you know, what are the things that are most important for our communities. But equally, you can't just hunker down uh, and do the statutory delivery when our role is also about facilitating and enabling as well. So, you know, what I mean by that is that is that we've got to see economic growth in our in our communities. So so we've got to think about what we need to do in order to deliver inclusive growth in Birmingham, as well as delivering you know, those those statutory services that we're contracted to do. And, you know, that's that's tough because it's not it's not just what you do. It's how you do it and who you do it with. So so a lot of our ambition around growing the economy can only be done in partnership with other people. You know, we have we're we're one we're one part of a big jigsaw. Um, So so the way in which we collaborate, partner up, joint venture is going to become even more important to us now. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to move away from from Birmingham now and talk about your wider experience. So you have, I think, a unique experience of having been a chief executive of a county council, Suffolk, 
Ameril Combined Authority, West Mids, and now City Council. I imagine those roles were very different in terms of priorities, maybe even pace of change, things like that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so, my, so my first chief exec job was in a district council in St Edmundsbury. In um, oh, I should have included that in my, um, ah, well, my well, list as well, district council, right? That. So that's where I cut my teeth as a chief executive, and actually. That was a nice job to cut my teeth in terms of size. And I was so proud of what I achieved in that organisation because it was a kind of perceived to be a very pedestrian district council. And by the time I left, it was the highest performing district council in the country. And I was really proud about that. But that was because it was was relatively small. We had very distinct services to manage. And, you know, so so transforming the culture of an organisation like that was a lot easier and and people were hungry for change and transformation so it was it was just a, a really lovely organization to cut my teeth that's not to say i didn't have challenges you know and yeah. when you're when you're a new chief exec no one explains what the job's like really so when you're confronted with with significant racism or when you're confronted with pornography and laptops and when you're confronted with dead pigeons and, you, you know, all of those things, a whole yeah. range of things that no one tells you, you know, no one could tell you about. But but by by asking for help, having really good people who mentored me and, and, and gave me advice and support, you know, I was able yeah. to really cut my teeth in a way that if you work in a bigger organisation, you're maybe not able to do as well. So having had experience in a two-tier system, so you obviously at a district level and at a different county council and also in a single tier, what do you think the strengths and weaknesses of those two different systems are? I think at a district council level, you're very much embedded and involved in the community. It's very, you know, very, it's about housing, it's about refuse collection, but it is very much rooted in a place. At a, at a county council level, it is it is more about strategic provision of services like adult social care and education and everything else. But you can only deliver those services with and through your districts. Yeah, because yeah. you're you're responsible for these these big big services that that cover a big big place, but actually yeah. they're delivered in a a small community. So so all of and and I I've got really good really good friends now as well as colleagues who who are county council chief execs they will all say the same the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity doing the job is about being able to work collaboratively with the districts because ultimately they are they've got a much more visceral sense of of place than than counties have I, i think that's exactly right one of the previous guests on the podcast was lucy whiteman who's the director of public health at essex and She talked a lot about, I mean, I think she went as far as to say, and I'm pretty sure that this this, this is right, I'm not misquoting her, that actually public health would be better delivered at a district level because it is, that's how, how they organise themselves with kind of a lead in each of the districts and working with the district councils, as, you, as you've said. But equally, the three-tier system actually that exists with, with town and parish councils as well, sometimes that doesn't make any sense to mm. the public. And and then I recall really clearly there was a massive storm. I can't remember when it was, but a tree had fallen down and was blocking a road. And, you know, and a member of the public phoned up and said, this is terrible. I can't get my car out of the gate. It's just the end of the world. And I said, well, leave it with me and I'll sort it. And I realised that 
you know, it was lying in a bit of the verge that was owned by the parish council and lying on the pavement that was owned and maintained by the, the borough council and then was in the middle of the road that was owned and maintained by the county council. You know, and everyone was saying it's not ours. In That's the, classic. That's like pure from yes minister, isn't it? Or absolutely. It's just I mean, the reality that we just did it. I just said, look, this is madness. Let's just do it. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. but it, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to that yeah. member of the public. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I want to talk just specifically about your MCA role, which I, I find very exciting. I think mayoral combined authorities have great potential. So can you describe the impact a really effective MCA can have and how it can best support its constituent councils? So, uh, so I'm a huge fan and believer in regional government. I was, you know, chief executive of the regional development agency, which covered 51 yes. local authorities in the east of England. And the power of regional government means that you can operate at scale. And there yeah. are only there are only things that can be done at scale. So, you know, public transport, um, maintaining and lobbying massive pieces of infrastructure that cross boundaries, um, yeah. you know, and have a role in large sectoral development and being strategic about, you know, if you want to create a big cluster of advanced manufacturing, for example, and in the East mm. of England, the, a big cluster of uh, renewables and offshore wind, you then had to think about the skills to service that sector. So yeah. doing it at a regional level, working with academia, further education colleges and even schools, you could start having that, that long term strategic conversation about about curriculum, about courses. So you would get to the point where in five years' time, you would have a cohort of local people who were skilled up with the right skills to take advantage of these brilliant jobs that were being developed yes. and available. Now, you, you couldn't do that at a district level, and I would argue you couldn't do it at a smaller METS level. You know, this is a region, yeah. this is a big thing, you know? Yeah. So, so things like that, and, you know, HS2... From London to Birmingham, trying to do that from a small authority basis doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, you've got to think about the regional impact that something like that is, is, is going to have. And then if you have high speed two and the, we're going to be really lucky and have two stations, how do people then get from those stations to the rest of the country? You know, and it's that strategic approach to transport that you need. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm a great believer in in regional government. I and but but it only works if if central government is prepared to let go and allow powers and money to be allocated at a, a much more local level. And so, one of the challenges Birmingham is facing that you mentioned earlier is just like a, like a lot of local areas tra trying to generate some economic development and economic growth. Is your experience that the presence of the MCA there really helps that? Yeah, of course, of course it does. Yeah, and um, but but what I would say is, you know, Birmingham's the largest city in in the region, so so we are a, a bit of a powerhouse, not not yeah. exclusively, but because there are other parts of the region that have got their own, you know, individual economic strengths, and that's quite right. Mm. But having a kind of regional perspective over big clusters and big sectors, and having access to funding that, that we don't have is incredibly helpful and powerful when when, yeah. when you want to influence the creation of a of a sector or 
you know, you want to attract really big global companies into the city. Yeah. It's not, you know, my, my view on this is it's not a zero-sum game, Andrew. It can't be. Yeah. You know, with the regional development agency, the combined authority, the city council, all want, all wanted and, and still want the same thing, which is a strong, vibrant economy that works both for the people of Birmingham, the city and the region, but also for the UK as well, because we've got such a powerful story to tell. So yeah. we all want the same thing. It's absolutely not a zero-sum game. Exactly. It can't be that there's no growth in a zero sum game. So it, it has to be. It has to work. And it, it, it strikes me just observing the development of regional mayors that the, the presence of an elected politician at that level who can speak with a mandate is, is useful as well and kind of take some of the pressure off maybe some of the constituent councils and some of the big strategic things that you would have to club together in some way to make the case for, whereas having that kind of regional figurehead probably helps. They're only as, as impactful and effective as, as the system allows them to be, really, yeah. you know, and, and my, my view on a lot of these things is people by people. And, you know, yeah. you have to invest in relationships, you have to invest in collaboration and you have to invest in shared endeavour. Yeah, it, it is so much about. Yeah, it is so much about relationships. I, I don't oh. think enough people get that, no. um, you know, in our work as well. It's um when we do consultancy jobs, it's maybe 50% the technical challenge, but the other 50% is all about making sure that the right people feel looked after and engaged with. And it is, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day, That's regardless. Right. Um, right. So with, with your experience across the different levels of government and the different types of councils, you'll understand better than, than most the patchwork of systems we have in this country. And we We've talked about some of that already. Do you, do you have any reflections on what you think the right levels of devolved power should be? And this isn't a cop out, but I would say horses for courses. Um, yeah. You know, you know, I, I think it, it just depends on on the service and the issue. There are things that are best delivered at a parish council level, actually. I would argue. Yeah. And and then at a borough or district level, then county council, then uh, you know regional, but. but People have got to have a conversation about that. And what's really important, the really important thing is that you're able to deliver good services that are targeted and effective. And you've got you've got to think about growing the economy and contributing to that growth in the economy. And then and this is the latest kind of challenge everyone's got to think about how you protect the environment and deal with the impact of climate change, because that is a real and present danger, I think, for us all, actually, across the whole of the UK. I would argue that we're far too centralised in this country. Far too much stuff is controlled from, from Whitehall. And all that needs to happen is some sort of political crisis at a national level or a, a perma-poly crisis at national level, pandemics for, for the, the politicians at the national level to be completely distracted and for any sort of public service reform agenda to stall. If more of that responsibility was devolved, we'd probably see more consistency and, and public services might have a better chance of keeping pace with the challenges they face. Now, I, I don't want to get you to make political statements but as a leader of a council as a chief exec of a council i'm sure that makes sense yeah it does and and, you know i did i did a bit of work in covid with government actually on on a project called smart government which looked at the at the reform of of central government and how it could be more effective and part of that was also looking at the role of 
civil servants and we also you know and and, and my contribution I, I was still at the combined authority at the time talking about how devolution devolving certain services and money and budgets had got to, was absolutely the right thing to do and during covid that was the biggest example of how you couldn't you couldn't deliver an effective response from Whitehall. Yeah. You just couldn't, you know, no. there were certain things that you could do, but the majority of stuff, you just had to let go. Once you let go of shielding, once you let go of the engagement with, with businesses and stuff, and you allowed, you allowed local authorities and local um, organisations to pick this up and run with it, you, you saw a much better uh, and effective response, in my yeah. view. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, to move on now to talk about leadership. So really simple first question. How would you describe your leadership style? I say simple question. It's actually not a simple question. It's a very difficult. You either come across as being very uh, self-depreciating or a complete arrogant, you know. Uh, so, how would I, so how has my leadership been described in a variety of ways, really? Um, focus on people and... You know, I've always I've always been of the view uh, as a as a chief exec or a, a senior leader, you are only ever as good as the people that work with you. Yeah. And so it's always been really important to me to be able to to attract and retain and develop really good people doing really great things. Um, I, I I expect three things of the people that work with me. You know, the first the first thing is I want them to be brave. And the world that we live in at the moment means that you, you have to take quite difficult decisions a lot of the time, actually, more so now than I ever had to kind of 20 or so years ago. So you, so you have to be a bit a bit brave and be prepared to to evaluate risks really quickly and take risk based decisions. And sometimes you have to be a bit edgy, I would suggest. I'd always want people to ask for forgiveness, not permission. And then I want people to be a bit curious. Yeah. And. So certainly new people coming into the organisation, some of them, have, you know, have said, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I, just, I don't understand why this is done in the way in which it's done, you know. So so I want them to ask questions. I want them to be really curious. I want them to say, well, I don't understand why you're doing it. Explain it to me. But yeah. let me, but then let me kind of talk to you about how I think it could be better. Yeah. So. So I want them to be curious. I want them to be a bit disruptive. I want them to be a bit a bit challenging. But of course, you've got to be careful because if you're if you're too disruptive, a bit too challenging, then that that's not good either. So so, I, you know, I spend a bit of time talking to my people about how you do that. And then I, I, I kind of talk about I want people to be true. Yeah. And And what I mean by that is. We've all got our own moral compass, haven't we? We've. But I truly believe that if people make a make an intentional decision to work in the public sector, to work in local government, you come with a set of values. Yeah. And I want people to stay true to those values and their integrity and their focus on doing the right thing. Fantastic. So brave, curious and true. Exactly. I like that. I like that a lot. That's brilliant. If you've just if you've just come up with that there now, that's fantastic. Um so just just on the brave. I've got a tattoo point. with it on my arm. Ah, 
Um, just on the brave point. Well, I don't, we're, this is a podcast, so I, I, I can, I, I'll, people will have to, to believe whatever I say I've, I've observed here. Um, just on, on the brave point and quickly evaluating risks, that's not something local governments always been great at evaluating risk quickly and making quick, brave decisions. How do you get people to do that? So, so you, you have to give them confidence that yes. you're not going to blame them if it doesn't work. And, and I've never worked in, there are some organisations where I've worked in where people have, have, they talk about this blame culture. And I've never really quite understood what that was. But, but I, what I think it means is that people don't take a collective, don't take collective responsibility for stuff that goes wrong. People's initial reaction is, oh, it's her fault or it's his fault. Or instead of saying, actually, this is an organisational problem and we've got to collectively sort it. And and what I kind of say to people, if things don't go right, then, you know, as long as no one's died. And I'm not being flippant about this, but as long as no one's died, we can fix it. You know, we can always fix it. But but what I do want you to do is to learn from it and not make that mistake again. Yeah. So when you when you give that when you give people that commitment and they've got confidence that they're not going to be chastised or hung out to dry if stuff doesn't work as well as it should do that then gives people freedom to be really innovative and creative yeah that doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen overnight no no it's in a large organization in particular that sort of culture change takes a long time and i think in a different type of culture where there is quite a defensive leadership and that blame culture as you say people are encouraged not directly but they feel it's the only response that if they make a mistake to try and cover it up or to try and you know pass it off on someone else and that really just makes things worse you know the the best thing you can do is say look I've tried this it hasn't worked I've learned these lessons and everyone feels a lot better about it you know the relationships are forged even more closely I think in that sort of environment where you can kind of openly discuss things and it's always the attempted cover-up that makes things worse you just look at politicians these you know it's the attempted hiding of something that gets them in trouble at the end of the day when I when I kind of look I tried this it didn't work approach people very quickly move on from that because it's not really a story then yeah that's right you at the different levels that you've worked at, so district council, I won't name them all, but um, county council, MCA, now city council, has your leadership style evolved? I mean, I'm sure it has, but you mentioned brave, curious and true. Were you brave? Were you encouraging braveness, curiosity and truth the whole way through? Did you start from there or did you piece that leadership style together as you went through? Uh, the lasso. I mean, I, if I, I'm, I'm a much better chief exec now than I was 20 years ago. And, um, yeah, it's been, you, you know, learning from mistakes, trying things, you know, being curious. There was some, some leadership stuff that I did that, that just failed. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I, I just realized that you can't get the best out of people by acting in a particular way, for example. So you've just got to be different. And, and one of the things I would say, uh, Andrew, and I'm, and, you know, pe- people have said just recently, actually, that we're going through all of these challenges. You know, people have said, you know, Deborah, you're you're the best person to sort this. And if no, if anyone can do it, you can. And, you know, you're one of the best chief execs in the country, which is which is lovely to hear. 
But my view is it doesn't matter how great other people might think I am. I've, yeah. always, I've always got to think I can be better. Yeah. And I've always got to be, I've also always got to feel that there is more that I can learn and do. And that's really important for me, that it's a, a constantly evolving art, if you like, as being a leader and doing leaderships. Yeah. It's, it's evolving. And, and I think the leadership demands now of people now are completely different to how they were 20 years ago. So if you look at how the world has changed, we've got climate change, which is never in, in anyone's lexicon, you know, 20, 20 years ago, really. You've got you've got very tricksy social cohesion issues again. You, you know, so there are there are and, and the kind of need to collaborate and partner with people in a way that we we never had to a number of years ago. So so the leadership skills are completely you know I think are completely different. So you not only have to be a chameleon, you have to kind of be a butterfly from a chrysalis. You know, you have to completely yeah. continuously emerge as something different. You know. Indeed, I indeed. I'm completely mad. <laughs> no, not not at all, not at all. Phoenix from the from the ashes would have been a good one as well. Yeah. So just thinking about some of our listeners in the position they'll be in. So uh, most people listening won't have got to the chief exec level yet, but will be really interested in creating a culture within the bit of the organisation that they run. Do you think it's possible to do that? In, in a pocket, in a kind of a department or something, or, or does it all have to come, you know, if, if the chief exec is not that way inclined, <coughs> does that just make it that everyone else has to follow and that trickles down, that kind of different side of leadership trickles down? You know, if you were talking to an assistant director in a council or something right now, which you certainly will be, you know, is it possible to get some of that culture change stuff going that you're talking about at that level? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, if you if you are responsible for a number of people and if you are responsible for delivering a particular service, that's yeah. leadership, isn't it? Yeah. So so the way in which you do it is just as important as a as a chief exec, I would argue. My advice to people is look at look out and up, look around, look yeah. at people that you really admire and, and just go and just go and spend time with them, ask to be mentored by them, you know, you know, read, absorb and. Just yeah. just take in all that stuff that's brilliant that's around you and, and copy it and be different. Yeah. Be great. Great. Really good but, advice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think if you're responsible for people and, and the service, then, of course, that's leadership. Yeah. So Birmingham City Council is very large. We've established that complex, long-standing organisation. So bearing in mind the challenges of reforming big organisations like that, how do you tackle issues of equality, for example, gender and race? Relentlessly. Yeah. I mean, so it, 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 is, it is so fundamentally important that it can't just be a project that you pick up and put down. Yeah. It's got, it's got to be something that's systemic. It's got to be relentless. You've got to live it. You've got to demonstrate it. In a place like Birmingham and Birmingham City Council, it is really, really important because if we're going to have any credibility with our people, both the people that work in the organisation, but the people who we deliver services to, they've got to see people like them reflected in the decisions that are being made that affect them. So what sort of things are you doing in Birmingham? So we've got um, Everyone's Battle, Everyone's Business, which is which which was developed um, by my predecessor, actually. 
Chris Naylor, and it was a, it's a brilliant statement of intent, absolutely brilliant statement of intent. But it will always be a statement of intent unless you can operationalise it and deliver it. So, yeah. so we're systematically looking at all of the things that we need to do as an organisation. So there's two things. How do we need to change as an organisation? But equally, how do we protect and support those staff from diverse communities who work for us? How do you know, where's the psychological safety? Where's the, where are the development yeah. opportunities, et cetera, et cetera? But then there's the other part of the equation, which is, are we delivering services in the right way? You know, yeah. are they culturally competent? I'll give you an example, a particular issue, which is which which constantly makes my heart hurt, actually, with the knowledge that we've got one of the highest levels of infant mortality in the city. And I've kind of said, why is that? that can't, we need yeah. to start interrogating that. We need to be curious about it. Yeah, but more yeah. importantly, we need to dis- be disruptive because that needs to be different. And it, it transpires that, you know, the, the system of, of health and care around pre and postnatal care, of it's not culturally competent enough. Yeah. So people are choosing not to access those services. Now, that's not the only reason, but that is part of the reason. So, so once we start being curious and in, interrogating it and understanding, you can then start to make the change. But, but in addition, it's not just a change for us as a, as a city council. It's a change across that particular system that's responsible for the health and care around our children. And, their and Yeah. And how is the relationship between councils and the NHS changing at the minute with um, you know, integrated care systems, integrated care boards coming in into play. Are you finding that you're spending more time engaging with the NHS? Yeah, as, as an organisation, we are because yeah. because we have to, and it's right because we've 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 spent a lot of time just identifying the big challenges in in the city around health, around uh, unemployment, around deprivation, or around poor skill levels, you know, all of all of yeah. those big, big challenges that our communities face. And, and the conclusion we came to very quickly, actually, was we cannot, we cannot sort those problems as, as an isolated organisation. Yeah. It is it is a system. Yeah. So so certainly if you look at health and health and well-being, et cetera, et cetera, it, it, it can't just be about the NHS. It's got to be about everyone else that contributes to that kind of system. Of I sense. mean, the NHS controls very few of the levers of wider determinants of health and well-being. Yes, exactly. It exactly. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think the penny's dropping with a lot of NHS leaders actually on that as well. Yeah. And we're, do, we're doing some really creative and innovative work in our system around early intervention prevention, where... Yeah. Yeah, for all the reasons, I mean, no, I don't know anyone that thinks early intervention prevention is the wrong thing to do. A lot of people think it's hard and difficult and tricksy, but no one says it's it's the wrong thing to do. But it, but if you're going to intervene early and stop stop that constant demand for high cost statutory services, the stopping of it and preventing of it has got to be the, the whole system that contributes to it. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about how you make time to think strategically and make time for reflection. Now, that might feel quite like a foreign concept to you over the past few weeks. You described what the council's been going through, but it's really important for leaders to make time, regardless of what's going on, to think strategically and reflect. And how do you manage to do that? 
Yeah, it is. It is really hard at the the moment. But let let's let's imagine. Let's imagine that the world yeah. is not as it is at the moment. It, it's got it's got to be having time individually for self reflection. That's really yes. important. You know, even if it's just walking along the beach or you know walking along a canal and and just think, just having that space to think. But then it's also you know I I've got really good friends who who are really stimulating and challenging in the sector and just having time with them, just yeah. having a lunch or just just be able to kind of shoot the breeze a bit, you know, yeah. but, but just as important being able to say, you know, I'm really troubled by this. And, yeah. I don't, and actually, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And having having colleagues who you can trust to enable you to do that is really powerful, I think. And I'm really blessed. I've got a number of those that I can call on. That's fantastic. I think it's really important to have a, a good peer network that you trust and they'll they'll want to help you because they know when they need it, you'll you'll be there for them as well. And yeah, I, I have a, a group like that also. And it's it would have it would have felt impossible to get through some situations without that, actually, because, yeah. you know, you can as a chief exec, you can often talk to other members in your team about the sort of thing that you might need to. So having that peer group is really important. And for people coming up through the ranks it's never too early to start building that group of yeah, people who are, who are going to be rising up at the same same time as you are yeah and, and actually having people outside your particular sector i mean i've got yeah. i've got some great great colleagues who work in the private sector yeah. you know and, and they they kind of look in and essentially think i'm a mad you know they're like how the hell do you do this this job but equally, when I'm talking about stuff, they have this wonderful way of just putting everything in perspective as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. really important not to be subsumed in your own little bubble, thinking that, yeah. you know, this is your world when there are people outside your world that are able to kind of check you a bit, which is. Important. Yeah. No, perspective is is incredibly important and incredibly hard to 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 give yourself perspective on what you're going through. So yeah, yeah, I think that's, right. that's really good advice. So, Deborah, as a final question. What bit of advice would you give to someone working in or around public services who wants to make an impact in the way that that you have? Well, first and foremost, you know, doing this job is is a massive, massive privilege. I mean, it's the hardest job I've ever done, but it is a it is a great privilege. So what advice? So I, I think the reason why. I am where I am is in no small part to a number of things. One, being brave, actually, and, and deciding to move out, out of local government to to try different organisations, you know, in different levels and in different places. But but also keeping hold to the fact that it doesn't matter how, as I said before, it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you can always be better. So yeah. always seek out people who, who are better than you, shadow them, spend some time with them, understand why they do what they do and how they do it, um, and also ask for help. Yeah. You know, there's been a number of times when I've literally had no idea how to deal with a particular problem. And and I've I've been fortunate enough to have a number of people who are prepared to, to be my mentor or to coach me or, you know, yeah. somebody just at the end of the phone. And that's been inv- invaluable, actually. And just for that final point there you've talked about the importance of getting experience in different areas so even if you started within 
local government maybe looking to get experience somewhere else to get a different perspective. Do you think that's is that specific advice that you would give people who are working their way up in the public sector? Yeah, I would. I mean, I, I've had a couple of secondments in, well, actually more than a couple, a number of secondments in, in my career. And they've always led me to a different path, along a different path, you know, and, it, and it's, but, but it was, it was taking a deep breath and thinking, oh, crikey, you know, there's a risk in here, but I'm going to be brave and jump. And yeah. rarely has that, has that been a problem? You know, it's, it's, it's presented a great opportunity. Me. Fantastic. Deborah, that's all we have time for. I'm so grateful to you for taking some time for a conversation. Thank you very much. It's been my absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say I really enjoyed that conversation. I am full of admiration for how Deborah's handling the pressure she's under. So many interesting things were talked about. She's got a unique perspective on how the different levels of regional and local government work. It's very rare you find a chief executive who has experience at a district level, a county council, a mayoral combined authority, and a city council, single tier, which gives her a, a really unique perspective. And, you know, let's not forget she's got that central government experience and regional development agency experience as well. And the way she was able to describe the benefit of having that mayoral combined authority that draws together the interests of the different councils and the population of a region and can make that strategic case because a lot of things like economic development, skills development, they don't necessarily respect council boundaries, but they are something that you could reasonably look at within a single region. So I just thought that was really fascinating. I would say my favourite part of the conversation was the bit where we talked about leadership and Deborah's three things that she asks of people who work for her. Number one, to be brave. Don't be afraid to be a little bit edgy. She even used the phrase asking for forgiveness instead of permission, which I thought was was in itself brave. Um, but I really support that. I think we are not going to get anywhere with public service reform unless people are willing to take reasonable risk and to take the risk that something may not work and be prepared to learn those lessons and try again. And try again is the really important thing. She also talked about expecting people to be curious. And that's a really important one because it's very easy to find yourself, and I find this sometimes, just slipping into kind of going through the motions on some things. And if you do that, you lose your curiosity and nothing will change if you do that. There's a great line at the end of one of the songs in the Matilda musical, I think it's When I Grew Up, and it goes something like, if I think the ending is fixed already, I might as well be saying, I think that it's okay, and that's not right. So never lose your curiosity. And the third thing that Deborah asks of people who work for her is to be true, and specifically true to your values. Be authentic. I think when you're in a situation where you're under pressure, and you have to make really difficult decisions like they're having to do in Birmingham at the minute, you have to go back to those values and think about what you're really there for and think about why you come into public services and make your decisions based on that. And Deborah's not the first person on this podcast to make that point. And if you can come back to that in the face of real crisis, then I think that you're 
a really high level leader and ultimately doing the best job that you possibly can. And the final point I wanted to make was Deborah's uh, response to my question about how you tackle issues of gender and race equality and inequality generally. And her immediate response was relentlessly. If you want to tackle problems like that in an organization that is very large, complex, long-standing, then it can't just be a project, was I think how she described it, that's a time-limited thing that you start and finish it and it's done. It's not. It's a relentless pursuit in order to make progress, and I learned a lot from that answer. So a huge thank you to Deborah once more, and thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to leave a review, then be brave and do that for it's much appreciated.